He, uh, who was here this morning with Toto Children's Choir? Yeah, enjoy it? It was a great time. Wow. Those kids were a bundle of joy. He, um, uh, speaking of children, um, here tonight, we're talking about a very sensitive topic, real, realising that children are certainly part of social media and things like that, and uh, I'm talking about the subject of pornography tonight, and so I just want the parents to be aware of that. We're going there, and it's parental guidance recommended here tonight, so I'm going to pl- completely leave that in the parents' hands for you to figure out, and uh, it's up to you uh, where uh, the conversation goes. You can figure that out tonight, if that's okay. All right, crash leaders, where are you? Went away? Went away yesterday? Yeah, I know Blaine's sick, and so uh, I understand he had a great time, which is great, and uh, a great youth team, so well done uh, to all the crash leaders yesterday. Three goals our church has, our 2020 vision. Who remembers our three goals? I've got a lot of work to do. (laughs) Yep, very good. Growing hope. Growing invitations and growing mercy. Very good. Growing him, H-I-M. Growing him in our city. As we've already mentioned, we're embarking tonight. I won't be doing this next week or brand new material tonight. I won't be doing this at any other service. Uh, embarking on a series, a three-week, well, two-and-a-half-week series uh, called The Rise of... So- have we got that slide? Yeah, The Rise of... There it is. The Rise of Social Media. Um, moving from a selfie life to a selfless faith. Um, I want to be—I want to be very clear from right from word go. I'm not against social media. All right, I want to be very clear. So the big idea is this: that um, technology—we're not just talking about social media; we're talking about technology—makes a wonderful servant, but a terrible master. A wonderful servant, but a terrible master. Uh, speaking of the selfie kind of life. Um, Uh, In the year 2013 it was, the word selfie was uh, the Oxford English Dictionary word of the year. What's a selfie? A selfie is a picture you take of yourself and you post it, right? Just in case you forget who you are and your your friends forget who you are as well. Now, there are 93 million I'm going to bring us a few stats here tonight. 93 million selfies every day. We all look fabulous. We all look super happy. And uh, generally, we pose with a duck face. There it is. You've got, you got, you got to come and do it. Come on, come on, come on. Let's encourage. Come on, come on. That was, that was, just stand up where you are. Just stand up where you are. Come on, turn around and show everyone. There it is. All right, very good. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, many are concerned, of course, where this is taking us. We don't fully know. We don't fully know. I've read a lot of articles leading up to a message like this and a series like this. Read a lot, studied a lot, researched a lot. And it's, uh, mo- some people think it's making us even more self- self-obsessed, narcissistic. Um, I think all generations, in fact, have wrestled with self-obsession. Um, in, in, in previous centuries, what was a selfie called? Paintings, portraits, things like that, okay? And so in previous centuries, a selfie was called either a portrait or a painting, and they'd pose for what? For hours, sometimes days. What about the Mona Lisa? This goes back, selfies go back. And so um, there's a sense of wonder, because there's also a warning that comes with this, but there's a sense of wonder about what's happening with technology in our day and age. Is there not? There's a sense of wonder. I want to celebrate that right from word go. We're not taking away from this. We're celebrating this. And right now, that God has given you and I, God has given human beings the ability to create things just the way he created you and I and the world in which we live. So with our smartphones... 
By the way, can I just get a show of hands? Just a show of hands. How many uh, people are connected with social media in one way or another? You're kind of connected, so probably more than half the room. Got my phone there. Um, with our smartphones, of course, you know, you can tap into your Bible at any time that you like. You can listen to the greatest music that's ever been composed. You can access, uh, you have access to people, your friends and family all around the world. Uh, Skype, uh, I do that with my family who live in Adelaide and Queensland. Uh, like the calculator, maps, isn't maps a great thing? You know when uh, the thing broke out this last week in Nice? Uh, of course, I've heard of Nice, but I didn't know exactly where in France it was. So I got on my Google map and uh, just got on the map and found out and I just prayed there over my phone. I know it sounds a bit weird, but uh, it's amazing, isn't it? Access to information unlike previous generations. Uh, Siri, Siri, is she all, or he awesome? No? She, he depends, I guess, who your program is, isn't it? Um, the weather. I love the weather thing. And uh, you, know, you, can, you can tap into your finances in terms of how much you don't have left in your bank account. You can actually spy on your children if you have to. We won't go there. But uh, photos, videos, clips. Um, you can monitor your heartbeat. Uh, the footy scores, the cricket scores, to-do lists, the calendars. Um, there are literally, I think, just over a million apps, if not more, these days. And it's amazing to be alive. You've got Google. You've got the cloud. You've got, you know, that goes on eBay and things like that. All on this little thing here. It's just extraordinary, the world and we live in. And so it's important that we don't, don't just, um, I don't just give you a warning, which I will over these next couple of weeks, um, but it's important that we celebrate and we stand in wonder of what you and I have access to in our day and age right now. What an incredible thing it is to be alive today. Just a quick disclaimer. Before I go any further, I, I, of course, I, I want to I declare before you tonight that I'm not a doctor, I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a counsellor, praise be to God for that, but I am a dad and I'm a pastor of nearly 20 years. In fact, if you included my volunteer times well and truly over 20 years that I've been pastoring. And so I just want to share some reflections with us tonight that I've developed from those years of experience, meeting one-on-one, -on -one, connecting with groups of people, and also myself participating in uh, um, uh, courses within the life of our church as well, because I'm also a human being and a man as well. We're going to look into Ephesians chapter 5. If you have your Bibles here tonight, um, we're going to look into Ephesians chapter 5. And so feel free to, to open your smartphones or Bibles, take your Bibles out. And uh, I think we're connected to version as well tonight as well. That's gone live now. So Ephesians chapter 5. But before I get Jade to come and read this for us, let me just kind of set the scene for what's happening here. It's, it's the letter that's written to the church in Ephesus, and it's written by the Apostle Paul, and um, this is kind of our, our modern-day Hollywood, what's happening here, who he's writing to here. It's the modern-day New York City. It's chaotic. Sexuality has gone completely out of control. What's changed, really? And so um, there are different cultures and, and different belief systems that's happening in the world at this particular time. And he tells the church at this time, in the first three chapters, how many chapters in Ephesians? Don't worry, I'll tell you the answer. There are six, some of you already know that. There are, there are six chapters, and so in the first half, he tells um, uh, the amazing things that Jesus has done for them. Things like that they have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. That the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that lives in them. 
that they have an inheritance, this incredible inheritance, this plan that God has for them. And because of Christ, and only because of Christ, that we are all one. We are neither slave nor free. We are neither Jew nor Gentile. We are neither male or female. We are all one. So that's the first half of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, as Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. And so in the second half, you then move to the final three chapters, he calls for unity. You'll see that written as the top of chapter four. He calls for unity and maturity. He's saying to grow up and into all that God, because of what Jesus has done for. Yes, he says, yes, Jesus did great things in the past and those things actually matter to us right now. And so with all that said and done, Jade, I'm going to invite Jade to come up and read to us Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 to 14. We've got a microphone here, over here. Here we go. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are impure improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, which are all out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such as a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them, For you were once darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention that the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Yeah, thanks, Jade. Let's thank Jade. Is that okay? Oh, glory to God. As I mentioned before, the topic here tonight um, is a sensitive one. It's, uh, I've entitled this Pornography, What's the Big Deal? Pornography, What is the Big Deal? Deal. I've mentioned the, uh, the wonder of it all and, of course, the warning. And so uh, I guess I bring a little bit of the part of the warning here tonight to us in regards to this particular topic. And if you're a part of Door of Hope, over many years you'd know now where we land on this particular issue when it comes to sex. We're going to take the masks off just for a moment. I'm going to say that big word out there right now, sex. And so sex, we believe, is a gift from God and it's given to us for a purpose. That sex is something to be enjoyed between a husband and a wife who are married and committed to each other for life. We also understand, by the way, if you're not used to this whole church deal and where we're coming from in the Bible and what God says in regards to this, we also understand that what I've just said, that this is very, very difficult. It's a very difficult message in our culture. I'm a part of the world in which you live in as well, who certainly don't agree with this stand anymore. But this is what I want us to get us thinking about, and it's this. Have we got that next slide? Thank you. That sex needs a context. Sex needs a context. What I mean by this is that when you have sex in a certain context, it goes according to God's good plan. Outside of that, it goes south very quickly. 
you and I probably know some of the stories involved with what I'm just sharing with you tonight. For example, let's talk about context just just for a moment as we get into this subject. Context. Let's go to the shower. Many of us probably would have had a shower this morning, right? And so the shower. What's the context of having a shower? Um, you're, 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 You're enclosed in a space. There's water. You're washing yourself. That's the context of a shower. What's the context of drying your hair? Well, you've got a bathroom. That's the context. You've got a bathroom. You've got a hairdryer. You've got a mirror. You've got a brush. When you start mixing these two contexts, things become very interesting very, very quickly. Now, my point is, it's the same with sex. The same with sex. Take it out of its context. It becomes very dangerous very quickly. You see, everything in its context works well. Why? Because sex needs a context and sex has a context. Now, I'm going to take you a step further. I'm going to stretch you a little bit further because um, many of us, we grow up watching TV, don't we? We grow up watching the movies. I certainly did, thinking that, well, sex is just physical, isn't it? Sex is just physical. It's just two people coming together. But is it? I'm going to suggest here tonight that maybe sex is is a few more things than just physical. Maybe it's these things. Maybe it's it's emotional. Maybe your emotions are involved as a human being when it comes to sex. Maybe relationship comes into play when we're talking about sex. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, it's deeply spiritual. Uh, Let me support that scripturally, if I could, just for a moment, from Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, right in the beginning, by the way, where the two become one. That's God's plan for the husband and wife, for the two to become one, that it's not just physical, but it's emotional, it's relational, and it's deeply spiritual. You see, pornography contradicts that. It's the opposite of becoming one. So what if, what if, what if it's a gift to be celebrated in the context with deep spiritual implications? And one of the byproducts of that, of course, is the area of pornography. Pornography. As I said, I've done a lot of reading. Um, I'm going to give you a uh, website slash uh, Facebook page you can go to and learn a lot more uh, from after tonight. So what is pornography? Uh, I've summed it up as this. Pornography is defined as any writing, any image, or anything that elicits a sexual response. Anything that objectifies a man, woman, or child. So it's everywhere. It's everywhere. You no longer need to go to find it. It finds you. It is everywhere. You and I now live in a day where it actually finds you. It's only a click away. That's pornography. Now, some truth bombs about the reality of pornography. Here we go. We've got some slides up here. I'll read this out just in case you can't read it. But porn sites receive more regular traffic than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined each month. 35% of all internet downloads are porn-related. 30% of all data transferred across the internet is porn-related. Pornography is a global $97 billion industry, with $13 billion of that coming from the United States alone, which is more, by the way, than the NBA, Major League Baseball, and NFL combined. 
It's huge. Um, the average age of being exposed to pornography is now around about the age of 12. And one third of porn users are women, which breaks any idea that this is just a male struggle. Um, there are over one billion, I don't think I've got that on there, there are over one billion sexual sites on the internet. One billion sexual sites. And uh, 33 million are free, by the way. Um, oh, my wife told me today, she found on social media, I don't know if you saw this today, the whole Pokemon thing that's just taken off, right? And it's okay, it's okay, it's up, you know, it's up to you to figure out what's okay about that, and there's warnings and all that kind of stuff. Uh, my daughter was out there taking photos of things today in the city park, and all these people walking around, anyway. Um, but my wife told me today, um, their, their Pokemon have higher stats than online porn uh, at the moment. And so I thought that was an interesting uh, thing going on with Pokemon. It's just taken off, hasn't it? It's gone virus. Viral, viral. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh dear, virus, yeah. So, I just want to say right from the yeah, this is this is a deep topic, right? So we're gonna have some smiles, we're gonna some laughs, all right. So, from the very start, I want to say this. I want to be very clear that those who are struggling in this area, or you may know of a close friend who is struggling in this particular area. This is, not a, this is not a message to kick you while you are down. This is a message to say that there is hope for you and there is uh, a way out for you. That uh, your addiction, maybe, and your sin doesn't need to define you. And I support that scripturally from Romans chapter 3, verses 23, that we all fall short of the glory of God. Right now, I'm going to interrupt this. It's a good interruption. Um, with somebody who's going to become quite vulnerable just before us right now, this takes a lot of courage for somebody to come up and share um, some history that they've experienced personally. And so for the next five minutes or so, can we encourage this person as they come and share their testimony in regards to this area that we're talking about tonight? Can we uh, welcome and encourage Richard Kemp? Um, so my name is Richard, and for a large chunk of my life, um, being 27 now, um, yeah, I, I struggled with pornography. Um, I wasn't out searching for anything along that path at all. Um, it's funny, Steve, talking about the Pokemon statistics, but when I was in grade six, so year 2000, because um, I'm nice and old now, um, yeah, I was looking for just some websites on Pokemon, and yeah, uh, instead of a website that was meant to be about Pokemon, it was a porn site. Um, so I flicked off it because of, um, yeah, I, I thought it wasn't the right thing to be looking at at that time, but then curiosity got the best of me. Um, and then temptation and everything else just kicked in, and for the next few years it began a cycle of nerves, guilt, short-term pleasure, mild depression, uh, short-term happiness and much disappointment. Um, I learned a lot through the process. Um, as you know, or as a lot of you would know, I am a geek and it did help me a lot with getting to be better at, although breaking computers and stuff, but fixing them too. Uh, I learned a lot about website security and things like that. Um, but I learned how to get around web filters, how to avoid any payment of um, looking at anything like that, uh, how to avoid genu genuine connections with people, um, and 
quality time with family and friends and how to convincingly lie. Um, I learned, as I said, I've learned some really handy stuff, but a lot of what I've mentioned, it's stuff I want dead and gone forever. Um, my first turning point came in grade seven when I was reluctantly taken to church. Um, we weren't quite a Christian family. Mum had gone to a Catholic school and always had a belief. Dad had grown up with Christian parents, but he and I needed a um, persistent prompter um, to get us to go to church. And mum's very good at that. Um, she met this guy, um, Tom, who had gone to her work as a um, waste collector, and he eventually spoke to her about church and invited her along. Um, at the time we met Tom, I thought he was a twerp. He, um, he kept visiting and stuff, as friends do, but at that stage I hadn't really learnt well to take joking as I'd been picked on a lot at school. So, um, yeah, when he was staring me up, I was just taking offence to absolutely everything he was saying. Um, so it took a really long time to actually get to like Tom. Um, but yeah, with... Um, with Tom's invitation and Mum's constant follow-up, eventually we were frequently coming to church. Um, and that was fine. Um, I went to grammar, so we had weekly chapel services and stuff like that. So I was used to hearing everything and at home, God's existence was never really questioned at all. Um, so all of that was okay. I did have a few family members that thought it was a bit ridiculous we were going, but that's a different story. Um, the first turning point um, that I uh, sorry, the other turning point I had um, which triggered me to start thinking more about it was seeing Dad's commitment to Christ um, and how he started changing a lot. Um, and then shortly after that, in grade nine, um, we were at a Baptist camp at Liffey Falls. Uh, I asked Jesus into my life and um, yeah, that was great. There wasn't any thunder or lightning or gold sparkles falling from the sky or any massive changes then. And coincidentally, um, at the same camp, while I'd been struggling with porn for three years by then, um, I turned to my friend and laughed when the preacher said, uh, no, guys, you just don't want to look at porn because it messes up your head a lot. And I thought that was ridiculous at the time. He had no idea what he was talking about. Um, it wasn't until literally the day of my baptism in May 2005 um, that I heard a voice saying that Christians shouldn't be doing that kind of thing. Um, so I made a choice that day to stop looking at pornography. It hasn't been easy, but I've been led through it and come out on the other side, um, albeit a bit scared and uh, scarred. I thought I was going to mess that word up when I read it. Scarred and bruised mentally, I am through the majority of the issues I once faced with obsessing over pornography. I thank God for guiding me and a supportive family and friends who helped me with or without knowing about the struggle. Um, I've just got a few things that I've learned... Um, so while it started, it was still quite new to have a computer at home um, and having internet at home. Now it's basically in every single house, um, parents 
back then didn't know that you needed a web filter or anything like that, and they didn't know what kids could get up to on the internet. Um, so the first thing I've learnt is the more easily available um, pornography has come, the easier it is to block access to it. So any parents, I really encourage you to get a web filter and uh, stop your kids getting to it. But the follow-up bit to that is it does need to be talked about with kids. So things like tonight in church, it's great. It never happened when I was in um, late primary school or early high school. No one really talked about it. And um, I don't mean giving gory details about what happens in any of it, but talking about it in a way that um, just warns them of the dangers and of the problems um, that can be faced when you start looking at it. Um, the next thing is lead by example. Um, I've seen that um, having an example set, so, uh, uh, sorry. Um, Parents and friends can uh, help dramatically by leaving a life free of pornography. Kids don't always listen, but they always learn. Um, for example, one of the things that helped me start getting more into learning about Jesus was I saw Dad, although he used to rage and we used to shout a fair bit at each other, I also saw him start walking away and taking quiet time to read the Bible. Um, so out of experience, I know that not just through that, but throughout a few other things I've experienced while journeying with people, they, um, kids really learn so, uh, from what you do. So if you do it, they're probably going to do it as well. Um, it is a heart thing. So while you can be told to stop, if you don't feel it in your heart to stop, you most likely won't. And when you do stop, it is an ongoing fight. For example, I have to choose to look away during... Um, uh, I, I watch a lot of movies and TV shows and stuff like that, so when stuff comes up, I have to look away because um, I know what kind of reactions it sets off in my head and um, what stuff it triggers in my thought processes and stuff like that as well. Um, just wanted to read three quick um, passages from the Bible that have popped up during my journey with this, um, and then I'll pass back to Steve. Um, the first one um, was from Matthew 5, 28, um, and it's, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Um, so the reason I, I wanted to bring that up is just to point out that it does really help to value your friends and family, and if you are thinking about people in that way, you've got to start valuing their future spouses as well because um, it's not just about them or you, it's about everyone involved. Um, build into your walk with God as well. Um, in Galatians 6, verse 7 to 8, talks about, do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And the last one... Um, when you're supporting someone with an addiction or um, either pornographic or drugs or anything like that, um, just remember to love them and assist them through it rather than just telling them what they should or shouldn't do. Um, yeah. So the last um, things from John 8, 
verses 7 to 11. Um, so when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, he being Jesus, just so you know who, what I'm talking about, um, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Thank you. Thanks, Richard. I know many would uh, be encouraged by uh, your word there tonight. So thanks so much for your, for your courage for doing that. We really appreciate that. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? As you look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Old Covenant, the New Covenant, the Old Promise, the New Promise, where one of the Ten Commandments was um, do not commit adultery, where Jesus said, Jesus himself said, did he not, that we are, as we look at somebody, Um, lustfully it's as if we've committed adultery in our hearts and so it's become even more you know you think it'd be a bit bit uh, you know a little bit free free you know just to to do that kind of thing but Jesus said no you know it, it just shows me the holiness of our God even in the new covenant there is freedom that comes with that, but we're not to abuse that. And he said, no, he, he lifted that. He lifted that to a greater level of holiness, that we aren't to be careful as we look at people lustfully. It's as if we've committed that with our own hearts. Let's go to 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, before we get into four quick things. 1 John 4, verse 8 says this, Whoever does not love does not know God, because, say this with me, God is love. God is love. So we were created by a God of love and created for love. And his design, right from the word go, from Genesis chapter 1, was to be fruitful and what? Multiply to be fruitful and multiply. And so God, he created this incredible gift of sex, but it was created for a purpose, remember. And outside of that purpose, it can cause a whole lot of hurt and a whole lot of pain. Now, I know the world outside these four walls would just laugh at me for saying this, but it's not just physical. There is a deeply emotional and relational and deeply spiritual aspect to the act of sex, and it's incredibly sacred. So the reason we need to be against porn is because of this. It's because we are for love, and pornography kills love. It kills what God created you and I for. It kills the love between us and the Father, and it kills the love between us and one another. So these next few moments, I want to talk to you about how pornography kills love. The first first thing it it does is it kills love because it rewires your brain. Don't just look over that, what I've just said. Richard tapped into that. It rewires your brain. Pornography isn't reality. It programs the brain to experience something unrealistic of course it's incredibly visual and males we are more visual than females 
Um, it's, it's stimulating. Um, it releases chemicals in our brains that build pathways to return back to and back to, and that's where addiction kicks in, posing a serious threat to how our brains function normally. So although originally what we thought was disgusting or even morally wrong, we actually start to be manipulated into wanting something that we never wanted before. And that's where addiction, as I said, confusion, shame, and all those other things. Can I just soften the mood just for a moment? Is that okay? How many people go to the gym or do exercise in some way or another? Can I just, you get, you get the idea. All right, for those who don't, you get the idea that because what is amazing when it comes to our brains, when it comes to exercise or the gym, is that when you engage in physical exercise, it releases a chemical called dopamine. What did you say? What did everyone say? Oh, endorphins, okay. It releases this chemical called dopamine, right? And it's that good feeling that you get when you exercise, when the heart rate gets going. The more that you engage in the gym or exercise, the more this chemical is released and it literally rewires our brain, which is why when you go, don't go to the gym or you don't do exercise for a while, you end up being a little moody or a little grumpy because our brain is actually craving that chemical. I realize that's probably hard for us to, to grasp, some of us. <laughs> but what's so da damaging about pornography is that it releases dopamine, um, but not in a normal level, but at a higher level that is equivalent to taking cocaine, ecstasy, and heroin, yet has nothing to do with intimacy. And so your brain, when it rewires it, your brain literally craves it. And the more you engage in it, the more your brain is being rewired to crave it. And just like that drug, your brain has learned to crave that release and addiction kicks in. The more you do it, the harder it is to change. Pornography kills love because it literally teaches your brain to desire the reward of sex outside the purpose and the context of marriage. You know, have you ever noticed that addiction is never satisfied? It's never satisfied. You always want more. The danger of pornography, number one, is that it actually rewires your brain. The second thing, how pornography kills love, is that it actually damages our relationships. You see, pornography, it's not about relationship. Um, it's, it's, it's very, it's narcissistic, isn't it? And I'll never forget the first time, once again, let's have a little story here, I'll never forget the first time I flew to America and flying into Los Angeles. Anyone kind of flown into Los Angeles, get the idea, okay? My idea of flying into America was taken from TV shows and movies. I was going to see this and that and say hi to this. And that's where my idea from America came from, right? But my ideals met reality very quickly as I drove in to certain parts, not all, certain parts, of Los Angeles where it was it was dirty it was smelly and the smog anyone the smog in LA is just incredible most of the time and the traffic was horrendous unlike any us Tasmanians have experienced in our own city it was just cars just everywhere and so what I had imagined was thrown out the window now, the danger about pornography is that it creates that false perception of what love and sex is meant to be. It reduces the world to a series of fantasies and ridiculous encounters, reducing people to nothing but objects. Now, the Bible teaches us a number of things about sex, by the way. The Bible teaches us from Genesis right through to Revelation that sex is an expression of love 
It's used for procreation, for unity, the two to become one. Uh, it's used for pleasure, and it's got to be mutual. Second, uh, sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, Song of Songs, the book in the Bible, it is an erotic poem. So is the Bible out of sync with culture, or has something happened inside us, the world in which we live? So, the first thing, it rewires our brain. The second thing is that it damages our relationship. And the third thing is that it participates in a system of injustice. What I mean by that is that when you engage in pornography, you actually participate in a system that makes injustice possible. You think about it, and this, quite, this is quite confronting when you think about it this way. Child sex slavery, abuse against women and children, violence against people. You see, when there is need, and we all have needs, but when there is need, there is money, and people will do anything to get it. It literally kills love. So it rewires the brain, it wrecks our relationships, it participates in a system of injustice, and the fourth and final thing here tonight is this, that it shatters our faith. Now, isn't it ironic, you know, when, when we're struggling with this particular sin in our lives, or addiction in one way or another, that the, the one place and the one person that you don't want to be around is God and church. You see, the very person and the very place that can actually help bring help to us and hope to us, we become isolated from. And so sin seeks isolation. We go to the next slide, please. Sin seeks isolation because in the darkness, you know the Bible reading that was read to us before, the darkness and the light and the redeeming and things like that, is that because in the darkness, when sin seeks isolation, it cannot be exposed. And long as it can't be exposed, it can't be redeemed. Pornography actually isolates us from faith and from community. So where to from here? Where do we go to from here? Just a couple of things as I bring the plane into landing tonight. The first thing is this, that we have to make a choice. Pretty simple, really. But how hard is it? You know that saying that says, that old saying says, what we tolerate, we will never change. And the truth is, most of us actually tolerate sin. And we, we need to grow a, that, that healthy intolerance towards our sin. And it starts by making that conscious choice to, to change our past, because that's what repentance is. It's that 360 turn. I'm going to turn completely around. And it's not feeling bad. It's choosing to change our direction. And it starts with a choice. We have to make a choice. The second thing is, and this is not easy, especially in our culture. Some cultures get this really good, and some denominations also get this really well too. We have to confess to God, then speak to somebody about it. And this is biblical, by the way. I can support it biblically by 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So we confess to God and he hears and he cleanses us. And as we come to one another, we come to somebody that we trust and respect. We're not meant to face this on our own. James chapter five supports this. James chapter five verse 16. Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Very biblical. 
And so together in community, helping one another out of our darkness, out of this spot, and one of those things has been very helpful for us in our community here at Door of Hope is what we call accountability, where you might meet with somebody weekly or fortnightly or monthly and share some of this tough stuff that's going on in your own life. I've certainly had that over the years and been very, very helpful in my life. So first thing we've got to do is to make a choice to confess and to talk to somebody appropriately about that, bring it out of the darkness into the light. And the third thing is to change our habits, to change our habits. What I mean by that is that if you are an alcoholic, it's not a good idea to spend every day at the bar, all right? And it's the same way that if you're struggling with pornography, it's not a good thing to spend time around those areas that are tempting to you or for you. You may have to do something with your laptop. You may have to do something with your computer or your phone, or your app, or get rid of those apps, or get rid of the phone, downsize to a phone that's appropriate, that you can't access those kind of things. Whatever it is, you've got to make that choice. You've got to change your habits. There is some brilliant software out there to help you know, protect, as Richard alluded to before. But there's a couple of things I also want to say on behalf of our church. It's these two things. Let's go to the next one, please. These two things have been very helpful. TripleXChurch.com, and it's not going to pop up with things like, you know, rude stuff and things like that. This is a Fair Dinkum website and a Fair Dinkum uh, Facebook page that has incredible articles um, daily that come up to help uh, with that. So if you're struggling with that, feel free to access that and search for life, which one of our courses, I understand Joel's going to be standing at the back there. Joel's uh, one of the, uh, the course leaders coming up on, I'm just trying to think of September, August. August 1. August 1, we, I, um, are encouraging anyone and everyone to participate in Search for Life if you're struggling in this particular area of your life and you haven't done that course like that. And of course, we have other courses that go on from things like that, like Valiant Man and Woman to Woman and Man to Man. And they're incredible books and you know, um, uh, resources out there. But God is able to work through these kind of things. So let's be a community of people here. Yeah? who can really speak about these struggles um, that we sometimes keep in the dark and bring to the light. But do it without fear. Fourth and final thing, and I'm done. Lauren, if you mind coming, please, thank you. And we, we're nearly done. And it's this, that remember, remember that this is a journey, that this is a journey. You know, some people have this, uh, that sense of uh, uh, the miraculous, and all of a sudden that deliverance has, has, has happened for them. But most don't. Most don't. And we've got to remember this is a journey. And maybe daily, what might help you if you're struggling in this area is you say, am I better today than I was yesterday? As simple as that. Am I better today than I was yesterday? Because this is a journey. I want to finish off with this passage of Scripture. It's written by Paul. And it's, encouraging. it's an encouraging passage because he also... I love the thing about Paul. He reveals his innermost struggles. And you and I, we struggle confessing. We struggle talking about this kind of stuff for whatever reason. But the way God created us is in community. And the great thing about the church the great thing about the church and there are many great things, is that we get to do this together in community. And Paul said this, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. 
one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I'd just like to pray for us right now, just in these few moments that we have together, that you reflect on what's been shared You know, and of course, you and I live in this incredible world for God so loved the world. That you and I, that this, this precious gift of sex has been taken from its purpose. It's been turned into something ugly. And it's time, and I felt this in the Lord to say this, it's time that we take this back and we show the world its true purpose. And when we sin, when things are going on privately, It'll eventually come out in public. That we don't run away from it. But we redeem it. And we bring it into the light. And it's time we take back what the enemy stole. John 10 verse 10 says that thief, the enemy, the devil, he comes to steal. He comes to kill. And he comes to destroy. That's the role of our spiritual enemy. But Jesus came to give us life. And life in all of its abundance. And I want you to know, for those of us sitting here tonight, and it's not for all of us, but I want you to know, those who are struggling in this area, that God knows you. He loves you. And you are certainly precious to Him. He's working this out with you. He doesn't want you to struggle or suffer alone. But he's working his way through this to set you free. That his desire for you is for true and lasting intimacy with him forever. And just as it was with Richard who came and shared tonight, he's able to take our mess turn it into an incredible message, a test into a testimony. What the enemy may have taken in your life for evil, he wants to make good. Because he's a good, good father. And so, Father, right now, I pray for each and every person who are gathered in this place tonight. It's a sensitive topic. I pray, God, that you've used this. I pray against any condemnation. I pray against any guilt. I pray against any sense of law. God, that these kind of things would be broken in our hearts and in our lives. We say thank you that your grace is sufficient. And Father, maybe tonight, maybe for some, maybe for one, this might be a turning point moment. There, there will be no turning back. But there's a sense of confession. There'll be a sense of talking to somebody or signing up for Search for Life to change a habit and to journey towards being pure 
And that I pray, Father, that you would let freedom reign and that you would receive all the glory. Let this community, let this church, I pray, be a place where we can lift one another up, where we can see the future, where we can encourage one another to a greater future. Help us redeem others the way you redeemed us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.